Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague. Fred Anderson, welcome back to Somewhere in the Skies. Thank you, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm. It's, it's such a pleasure to be back. You know, even, even if I, I, I uh, it was a recording uh, the last time, if I remember it correctly. So it, I wasn't really there live. You know, or here live. Uh, uh, and I'm like I mentioned to you before we started here. I am a little bit starstruck to be on somewhere in the skies. Uh, I must admit that. You know, so it's so. So now I'm, I'm like. I, I've been writing to my, my my friends and my partner, and you know, I hope I doesn't sound silly now. You know, I'm, I'm you know this Swedish accent, Swedish chef. I don't know. <laughs> so, so. No. First of all, that's extremely flattering. I'm honored to have you on, and there's a reason uh, we're having you on, and that's because we're going to talk all about Swedish UFOs and the Swedish men in black. And I couldn't think of a better person to come on to talk about that. So no, it's a true honor to have you here. And yes, we should mention you were featured in episode 259 of Somewhere in the Skies, where I covered uh, Nordic UFOs and um, a few cases out of Sweden. And you had written a brilliant article. And I reached out to you. And I said, is it okay if I feature this in the episode? And then it dawned on me. I'm like, what would be even better? Let's just have Fred tell the story. And you were so gracious and kind to let me uh, do that. And um, hey, people love that episode, as I know they're going to love this one. So um, yeah, let's. I guess let's kind of dive into the subject we're going to be discussing. And that is the Swedish Men in Black. Now, when people think of the Men in Black, they often think of... The obviously the movies with Will Smith and um, these very old cases in the United States. But this phenomenon has happened worldwide. We've heard of cases all over the world. Um, and you were able to dig up several Swedish men in black cases as well, which I was never uh, keen to. And I know a lot of our audience may never have known these either. So um, we're going to be talking about that tonight. But before we even do that, I have to ask the origin story of Fred Anderson. How did you first get involved with UFOs? What sparked your interest? Well, it's very, very easy to show. This book here, De Otrolia Tefaten, this is the book 
by Eugene Semichov. He was a Russian-Swedish uh, Swedish journalist, you know, in, in uh, uh, popular science. You know, he wrote about space, about science in general. And, and he also had a keen interest in UFOs and aliens, but he was also a, a skeptic. He was really, really skeptic. So, so this book specifically is, uh, is I mean, it's, it's clearly his, he really doesn't believe what he's writing about, but you can also sense that he has such a passion for it. He's, mm. he's so curious about these cases. And there's, you know, Swedish cases, there is, uh, uh, maybe foremost uh, American cases. This is the first time I heard about uh, the Socorro incident with uh, uh, Lonnie Zamora, uh, and still one of my favorite favorite cases out there, actually. Uh, so this one, I think my mother found it for me at some second-hand store, and, you know, I was stuck <laughs> directly into the subject. So, I mean, I, I blame everything on this book, you know. <laughs> I love that. I blame everything on uh, my UFO sighting and a book as well by Stanton Friedman, which was Crash at Corona about the Roswell UFO crash. So I know well, my friend, how much these books can kind of take a hold of you, um, whether imaginary or real. And and that kind of plays into what we're going to be talking about tonight in terms of the men in black are they real have people actually encountered these uh these people or uh are they even people i know we're gonna discuss later some of the theories on what the men in black might be uh but before we even do that okay so you have this interest in ufos uh you write over um you know you write out your articles over at medium uh, and that's where i found this one and it really caught my attention. So I got to ask, what inspired you to look into the men in black? Well, uh, I I have a tendency to, you know, I, I, when I get a fixed idea and I, I can't stop thinking about it, it's, it's uh, I don't know if I'm somewhere in the spectrum, but I can't stop looking into something when I start thinking about it. And, and, when it was the case with the men in black in, in Sweden is because I couldn't find any at all. Uh, it was, um, there was like no information. Uh, we have a lot of very, very interesting uh, flying saucer cases in, in, in Sweden. Uh, we have humanoids. We have other kinds of being. We have, we have a lot of ghosts. So we have a lot of these things. But the, there was almost nothing written about men in black. And when I looked in old UFO magazines and newsletters and books from Sweden, uh, they were often just mentioned briefly. Uh, so I, I actually contacted Håkan Blomqvist, who's a, a brilliant Swedish researcher, mostly uh, about UFOs in relation to the esoteric so he's, a, he's an expert on contactees and, and uh, similar uh, characters out there. And I asked him, have you ever heard about Men in Black in Sweden? And he, he sent me a link to a, a little text he, he wrote once. Uh, and that, you know, that made me realize, okay, there is stuff out there. So I continued to go through that source uh, and I found 
couple more, not many, but there is a couple of cases that I actually find quite interesting. Um, so, I mean, thanks to having access to the archives for the unexplained and their amazing um, uh, uh, scanned collection of newsletters and, and searchable newsletters and magazines, I was able to dig up a few more cases, uh, which I wrote about in the article. Um, so, you know, the main thing was that I couldn't find anything. And if I can't find anything, then I must find it. So I find it really interesting kind of how you were able to dig up some of these cases of Men in Black, Fred. But I know you kind of have a, a personal story, too, of a possible, and we use that term loosely, possible uh, brush with a Men in Black. Would you mind telling us the, uh, the story of Loam and how that kind of ties into all of this? Yeah, it's it's um, it it was around the first time when I started to think about Swedish men in black uh, encounters, and uh, I had just begun. This was a while ago, you know, maybe two years ago or something. And I had I started to to do some light research, see if I could find anything. And I was, you know, it was going through my mind all the time. And I remember I ran down to the store and to do some shopping. And on my way home, uh, uh, a man passed me. I didn't see his face, but a, a man passed me. And I could, I could sense that he was stopping behind me. Uh, I, could, I, could, I could literally sense his, his eyes in my neck. Uh, and I turn around and I noticed that this guy uh, who was dressed in a dark jacket and a dark hood, uh, was standing still there at at the at the street, just looking at me, and I felt okay. <clears throat> you know, it was during daytime. I'm not worried in that way that it could be dangerous or something. So I just okay. He's he thought I looked like like you thought I looked like someone, or maybe he's a drug dealer. You know, it's I've been asked several times here to to ask <laughs> to buy substances. Uh, so anyway, I ignored him and I walked up to the park in front of our house. And once again, I had this feeling that, you know, he's behind me. And I look back and yes, he's coming behind me, you know, maybe 20, 30 meters. And now I start to get a bit worried, actually. So I have walked to the, to the house and I turn around and then I, I just see him standing on a very specific spot on this, this path through this little forest in the park. And he's standing there looking at me. It's like, it's like from, I know what you did last summer, basically, you know, mm-hmm. with the hoodie. And okay, okay. So I hurry, uh, hurry in. I lock the door. Everything is fine. I don't think about this for a day, maybe. So, I mean, the next day I'm sitting working in the living room and I sense that I sense, I see that the cats are they're they're focusing on something in the hallway. And I go out and look and I see the handle, the door handle moving like someone is <laughs> trying oh to get inside. Uh, and, and I'm like, all right, right. So I uh, look out the peephole and I see, I see this man. I recognize him. I recognize the clothes. I see him standing outside the door. Uh, and I even snap a photo to be safe through the people, you know, to, you know, for, for, you know, yeah. And I open the door and I ask, so you're, <laughs> you're looking for someone. I must have been crazy, I guess. 
uh, and he says uh, Luam or Loam. Luam, he pronounces Luam. And I said, no, there's no Luam here. And and uh, close the door, and he continues to be outside the door for a while. And then he leaves. And then it, for a month, this man showed up outside our door in the stairs. He tried to get inside our apartment in the middle of the night. He, he rang the doorbell. I, I remember once at midnight. Uh, one evening, uh, I was kind of chilling. I looked out the balcony and I could see him standing outside the balcony looking up at uh, our apartment. And I could see his white eyes, you know, glittering in the darkness and I like I told my partner you know he's here again he's here again and every time we met him he asked for Luam and it this continued for like a month basically Um, and then he disappeared again so I'm I'm I mean it was a mysterious man he behaved very bizarrely I felt directly that it was some kind of connection to Men in Black because I was so focused on it at the at the moment. Hmm. And a while later, I I was thinking about this this word or or name Luam. What is it? Uh, and I I decided to check it with uh, Alan H. Greenfield's uh, The Secret Cipher of the Euphonauts. <laughs> You know, we're going to go to the occult route here. Absolutely. And, yeah, and the word Luam, they, it brought it brought only sinister words like shadows or lurking, stuff like that. And I, I started to research the word Luam. And Luam is a different spell, spelling for Lam, I think, which is a kind of a soil. Lam is also the alien entity that, that Alistair Crowley... <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, Shannon, right. yeah, uh, uh, a long time ago. So you see, you you can you you know this meme w- with this guy standing pulling strings between uh, you know a note board, uh, you know <laughs> the conspiracy meme. That was me at the time, and I, I there was like this connection between Men in Black, Alistair Crowley, um, uh, uh, my fascination by Men in Black, of course. Everything kind of just came came into one there. And then I realized that Men in Black basically has to do with paranoia because it automatically creates paranoia. Uh, I mean, when we listen to people who have met Men in Black, all of them are in a state of paranoia. Uh, they 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 just they don't trust anyone. They don't trust, of course, the, the mysterious men. They don't, you know, they they start connecting dots that might not even be there. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I can understand why that frightens people so much. Um, on, on a different note, this led to another bizarre uh, synchronicity because. Uh, that was a couple of months later, and a, a, a friend sent me a photo from Norway, and it was these big tracks in the snow, footprints. And I was joking, oh, it's troll, <laughs> it's, uh, it's <laughs> troll footprints. And yeah, we laughed about that. Um, uh, a couple of hours later, I got an email from an English production company who asked if they can use a photo I, uh, I took once of a troll. As a pareidolia effect, it's a troll. So okay, weird. Two troll things in one day, and 
<laughs> and and in the in the evening, uh, I'm out walking, and I'm, and I'm coming to this exact spot out in the park where where this man was standing. On that spot was a wooden troll, you know, a carved wooden troll, you know, <laughs> this is <laughs> standing on the exact same spot. Um, so that's like, I, of course, now I'm I sound mad. I realize that, but it's. You know, when you start following the synchronicities around Men in Black, yeah, around the esoteric and UFOs, then you—you I mean you can disappear forever into the into the rabbit hole. Uh, and I still think about this guy. I still look for him. I still sometimes go and look through the people. Is he standing there uh, today? Is he down in the basement? So yeah, it it created some kind of paranoia that still holds on up until today, actually. Uh, so, of course, I had to dive into the subject of Swedish men in black even more, you know, to, you know, to kind of just make it come full circle, I guess. Right. Right. Wow. I, that is so fascinating. I, first of all, I didn't think we were going to connect trolls in the men in black, but I'm so happy that we've done that, Fred. That's awesome. Um, But you bring up this idea of paranoia, and I think you're right. That is kind of the the nature of the men in black phenomenon. Some figures lurking in the distance, um, either uh, you know preceding or um, after a UFO event of some sort, or a event of high strangeness or, or the paranormal. They always seem to be around, at least in the lore that we've come to learn uh, both in the United States and uh, possibly even in Sweden. So I I'd love if you wouldn't mind, would you, could you maybe give us a few of the stories from the article um, that you found in terms of these Swedish men in black, if we do want to call them that? Yeah, we have, we have one that's actually connected to Loch Ness and the Loch Ness monster. Uh, oh my gosh. That's yeah. Awesome. It's, yeah, it was in, in, in August, I think, 1971, and young journalist Jan Uwe Sundberg was sent to Loch Ness by the magazine he was working for, Lecture, which was a, a men's magazine, to write about the monster. Um, and when he was you know, lurking around there, he, he go into the forest and suddenly he sees this UFO, a UFO shaped like an iron Basically, you know, they want to make your clothes flat. I don't know. You call it iron. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he sees three individuals, three beings outside uh, in, in what he thinks looks like diving suits, which is interesting because diving suits is something that comes back into his uh, in the in the mythology he was creating, basically. So these beings, they fly away uh, in their iron UFO. And he goes home, he writes the article about the Loch Ness Monster, doesn't mention the, 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 the aliens or UFO or anything like that. But not long after, he starts to have uh, uninvited visitors to his house in Mutala. He, uh, they were knocking on his door, they were calling him, uh, threatening him not to, to write and talk about this. Uh, he saw a big black figure in the, in the garden lurking around. And this scared him so much that he basically refused to talk about the UFO slash alien part, uh, of the Loch Ness story. Uh, one one need to keep in mind that Jan Ove Sundberg was 
I, I, if if I'm going to be kind, you 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 couldn't trust him always. He 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 had a tendency to uh, to make things up, to just make it spicier. Um, he claimed to have taken photos of this UFO in Loch Ness, and he, in Flying Saucer Review, he actually shows a photo of one of the aliens, which shows nothing at all. There's just <laughs> a forest. There's nothing there. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's it's fascinating, I think, because it's so it's it, it was so connected to to Loch Ness, which also brings uh, forth another Men in Black episode in connection to that, that lake. Uh, the first interview, kind of, with John uwe Sundberg was made with uh, by Ted Holliday in 1971 for a Flying Saucer Review. Or, no, it was 73. Uh, and uh, Ted Holliday is one of many things he's famous for is that he, he, uh, he, he did a thing with a priest, Reverend Umand, I think his name was, who tried to exercise uh, uh, the Loch Ness monster. Nice. The day after he did it, yeah, you know, it's a bizarre story. He even mm. uh, exercised the Bermuda Triangle, I heard, but I, I haven't looked into it so much. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, yeah, but the day after he was, uh, the day after the exorcism, Ted Holliday was out walking nearby the lake and saw uh, suddenly a man in black staring at him from a distance, uh, dressed in, in black leather clothes, and he heard a whistling sound, uh, and then he disappeared. So it's a it's a it's a, an, an an odd little connection to to the men in black mythos, even from from that direction. The guy who wrote the article about John Wisunbay's experience at Loch Ness. Uh, Jan Uwe later wrote a book called uh, Phantom Submarines or Phantom Ubotala, which uh, it's a Swedish book uh, where he he goes into you know we had a, a, a we had a kind of a USO flap in in Sweden during the eighties where people saw strange mysterious submarines. Everywhere, and Janove thought these were, of course, alien crafts of some kind. So, in this book, he he had a whole chapter on frogmen in black, which is uh, I I never heard about it before until I <laughs> read this book, and he had like I think it's like twenty five thirty accounts of of uh, frogmen in black who 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 threatens witnesses and behave weirdly often in connection to strange otherworldly uh, submarines or whatever it is um, so it, here the diving suits comes back again in 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 his world because the the the, the beings at Loch Ness had that uh, so Janui was a strange, strange character, not totally pleasant, but uh, he's someone you, in Swedish ufology, if a, if a story is too good to be true, it's probably because you can find Janui somewhere in the background, uh, <laughs> spicing it up a little bit or a lot or totally. Uh, the man was a mystery. Absolutely. He was a madman, but Good writer. Uh, he kind of reminds me of Gray Barker in the way that he was. Uh, he, he had an amazing way of telling stories, and you were never really sure how much he made up. Uh, Gray Barker, of course, is a, a totally different class of. But 
they had s- similar properties, both these men. You know, there, there were tricksters, hoaxers, uh, showmen uh, in, in one way or, uh, or another, at least. But, you know, the, the frogman, in, frogman in Black is, you know, he, he had so many that I, f- I think he actually had some real accounts and maybe he saw what he, he thought they would be in them. You know, maybe it was, you know, uh, I mean, in, in, the, in the stuff he, he wrote, uh, all these frogmen, what you can see of them, they have often a, d- a darker complexion in the skin. They have, uh, you know, uh, a bit uh, exotic look. You know, in Sweden, <laughs> everything was, you know, everything that didn't look Swedish was looked strange at the time. <laughs> uh, um, there was one man, he was out walking with his collie and in, he encountered like six or seven of these frogmen <laughs> coming, walking towards him. And they kind of hypnotized him. Uh, so he was frozen. He was paralyzed while they were walking past him, which kind of reminds me of a couple of older gnome observations from Sweden where, where the witness also kind of got paralyzed while they were marching by him. Um, Another frogman, uh, he wasn't dressed in a diving suit at the time, but he and his colleague uh, was in an old-fashioned car, of course, stopped by the witness and asked for the direction to the harbor or something like that. And then he started asking questions like, what's your time cycle? You know, weird questions Uh, out of nowhere. And, and of course, the witness later saw this guy and his colleague and a couple of other frogmen uh, down by the water entering a submarine. Um, these are weird stories. But the, the, like I said with Jan Uwe, you never know what, what's the truth in them. What, what's, what have he added and what have he totally made up? And what, what's the truth? You know, is there a truth? You know. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, you bring up so many little avenues we could go down with all of this. But when you said, you know, it kind of reminded you of something like Gray Barker or um, even Albert K. Bender, sort of these, these gentlemen in the United States who kind of birthed this mythology of the men in black. Um, you know, th- there have been a lot of historians or let's say um, folklorists have traced it back to the dawn of time, basically, you know, if you want to take it down different routes of religion and the occult and men in black and, and dark figures. Uh, but it really did kind of start, I think, with the work of people like Albert K. Bender and Greg Barker and even the kind of... Uh, sordid case of Maury Island in the United States. Um, So I guess my question for you, Fred, is do you see any connections or patterns between what you were able to dig up in Sweden with these men in black cases and what was reported in the United States? Um, The tricksterish nature is what stands out for me personally. Like you said, um, we hear, hear that a lot in the cases in the United States, but yeah, were you able to find any patterns or connections between what's going on there in Sweden and possibly in the U S what's up somewhere in the skies listeners, Ryan here just wanted to give a quick shout out to our brand new 
Patreon supporters. Special thanks to Matthew K., Josh R., Jen D., Jiminy C., Laura N. R., Monica F., Nathan P., Paul P., UFO Nut, Deborah B., Maureen N., Kevin P., Larry S., Oteal B., Chris W., Orianda G., Russ, Dalen, Sergio V., Tad D., and Timothy S. I hope you enjoy your early access to episodes, bonus episodes and content, and priority to ask our guests your listener questions. I couldn't do the show without your support. So again, my sincere thanks to all of you, past, present, and future. If you'd like to help support Somewhere in the Skies today, visit patreon.com slash somewhere skies. Keep looking up and enjoy this week's episode. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Well, I think in those cases, I've found uh, all of them basically have some kind of... uh, uh, paranormal, paranormal part. You know, in in Janovis case, he had uh, poltergeist phenomena uh, in 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 his home after uh, the man in black contacted him. Uh, another guy, uh, a very beloved man called Bevan Bevan Bertelsen, who was mm-hmm. the, the chairman of Ufosferia for two years during the 70s. He had his own experience in 1973, where uh, a strange man showed up. This was after a, a UFO observation. He had his first one. Uh, and this man showed up at, at his face. Uh, this man showed up at his house, asked a couple of weird questions, walked out on this uh, tiny road outside this country house and just disappeared. So you have these, these figures, these, these, these characters who just kind of like ghosts, you know, like mm-hmm. yeah, shadow people. They just appear and disappear. Uh, I mean, I remember in the uh, Albert 
Kay, Bender case that he, he experienced what you could describe as some kind of poltergeist phenomena, you know, uh, knockings and bangings on the doors and walls and similar things, which is, of course, deeply connected to to, to ghostly experiences also. Uh, and I mean, the, 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 the look... At least in the the look of the man, at least in the case of uh, John Uwe and and Bevan, is very traditionally uh, men in black. They they don't have any diving suits on in in those cases, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I, I mean, absolutely, uh, it's it's a mythology that that have kind of like you said, it has spread over the world. Uh, the the our modern view on men in black. Uh, it's kind of, kind of not weird, but it's you know I like I like it when it goes really strange. I find it a bit boring when there's men in black who just look like a, you know some militaries or they look like some boring government types. I want them to have uh, black suits, old fashioned suits, hats, old cars, similar things like that. Uh, uh, what's missing today, I'd say, is the, the the madness, the bizarreness of, for example, Albert, Albert K. Bender's uh, experiences. I mean, he had these three men who came floating in his bedroom and they took him to Antarctica and you had this strong smell of uh, sulfur uh, uh, around them. And they were like more like... I think I compare, compared it to a um, sleep paralysis experience or a DMT trip. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if I mean, I, I after rereading his book, uh, uh, Flying Saucers and the Three Men, I, 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 I really think he experienced something. And if it had a natural explanation, I would say it, it was sleep paralysis in combination with paranoia. Maybe there was government types actually uh, contacting him because, I mean, it was a huge subject during the 60s. Um, so I, you know, it's it's a it's a mix of 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 all these things, and they have. I, I think why they. Sorry, I'm jumping here a bit. I, I think no. that they're not so common in Sweden because we don't have the same tradition of secrecy as we have in the United States. In Sweden, uh, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but we're a very very open country you can get access to a lot of material. You can pick up the phone and talk directly to someone still to a certain degree. And I, I think the, the, the secretness, the secrecy of the United States and the, 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 the government style you, uh, the United States have kind of feeds the men in black mythology even more. <laughs> um, yeah, he, here it's like, it's it's a different culture, you know. It's a very very different culture we have and had. I mean, these things I told you about happened in the seventies, and it was a way more innocent time in Sweden than it is now. <clears throat> uh, so so, I, I to have these things happen at the time, I would say is is very unique and 
Today, I'm surprised that we don't have more of these cases in modern times uh, here in Sweden, though, because uh, times have changed and and uh, and we have a different kind of attitude. There's there is more paranoia, so I'm I'm surprised that that hasn't, you know, created basically many blacks out there. But then again, with Sweden, it's a small country, you know. Um, I don't know if that was a good answer. I feel I'm rambling on here. No, no, no. You, it's a fantastic answer. You bring up a lot of good points of, especially the idea of secrecy. I mean, when you know, within the United States, uh, and even in you know, I, I would say the the UK as well. At times, when your governments are not being transparent with the people. That is when you start to create your own truths, create your own uh, mythologies of what's occurring. And, and I think you're right. I think, you know, the reason you may not find a lot of cases like that in Sweden is because of that very reason. You have a government who's willing to tell the public what's going on and, uh, and, and there's a trust there. I, I feel like in the United States, there's no trust in government whatsoever. And we're seeing that play out right now where we, our military are shooting down unidentified objects in the sky and not telling us what they are. Mm. So what happens? Either one extreme is that they're all surveillance equipment from a rival nation or the other extreme. They're aliens from Zeta Reticuli, and this is Roswell all over again. So I think you're right. There's there's a gap between the knowing and not knowing that I think creates these stories of uh, men in black, what, what they are, who they are, where they come from. Um, and that's not to say they're not real and that this phenomenon is not real, uh, but a lot of it probably could be attributed to what we want it to be, what we imagine it could be. And then tying in to UFO sightings. Uh, you know, once you have a UFO sighting, a lot of people are like, oh my God, I've heard that the men in black come and silence you after you see these things. And that's when the paranoia starts. And everyone around you is a little more suspicious and might be a man in black or a woman in black even. Uh, so it's interesting. I, I think you bring up a lot of good points there. I also I, I also believe that a, a UFO observation is by itself something so unique. Uh, here in Sweden, I, I must admit, nowadays we don't have so many observations. You know, as you know, if you go back to the sixties and seventies and eighties, where you had tons of them. Uh, nowadays, you don't have so much. But I can imagine. And I, 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 I've never seen a UFO. You know, I've seen dots in the sky and everything, but you know, it could be something else. Uh, I think just by by seeing something like that, your 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 mind goes on high alert to everything that looks and feels strange. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it's uh, it's um, I can make a, this is quite wild comparison i don't know if i should do it here actually uh, do it do it <laughs> it's very it's, it's now now we're going into who here you know okay. this is woo. 
there was uh, some years ago I I I, <laughs> I did a lot of, of mushroom psychedelics. Um, and there was like a year I had, you know, over one summer I did mushrooms three times. And during all those three times, I met the same man. <laughs> and he's an odd looking man. He's short, he's fat, he have, his, his, uh, his um, clothes doesn't fit, they're too big. And every time he looked at me and yeah, you can say, okay, the guy's on mushrooms or he hallucinated, but no, I wasn't hallucinating. Uh, but my my senses, my my mind was on high alert for everything around me, and mm-hmm. I probably just noticed this guy uh, each time. I mean, I live in a pretty small community, uh, so of course, with his odd looks, his strange behavior, behavior, he he just stood out even more than he probably would in 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 a way without mushrooms. I say, but that reminded me of how when you you're uh when you're into something unique something odd something out of the ordinary how you tend to see stuff that not always is there uh, i have a weirder theory about that is that the the, the phenomena itself use this guy as a kind of proxy uh, so uh, the phenomena showed itself to me as him. He was just an innocent bystander. He was just weird standing there fishing outside <laughs> in nature, looked like a gnome, basically. And he ended up being my connection to, to nature, to the phenomena, to the weirdness, to the high strangeness. And I think that's the case in, in, in a lot of encounters with the men in black, that you have seen something, you have experienced something, and you have no idea what it is. Everything is weird. Your reality is fucked up. And suddenly these two guys or three guys or one guy or women come and they talk to you and you feel that hmm, this is out of the ordinary. This is something that usually doesn't happen. Even if, you know, maybe there's some innocent people asking questions, you know, everything turns weirder. I don't know if that made sense, but uh, I can be a bit abstract sometimes. <laughs> no, I love that. This idea that it can bring in a sense of, of high strangeness and, and everything starts to become bizarre. And this simple person now becomes like the center of a story they never wanted to be written into. Yeah, and and like I, I find that fascinating. Yeah, like a, a symbol, a symbol for, yeah. for high strangeness. And Men in Black is, for me at least, strong symbols for high strangeness. Because, you know, something weird happens, Men in Black shows up. You know, it's been been like that constantly, obviously, through the years, you know. Uh, so, but, you know, it could, it could be anything. I don't know. But I find it very fascinating. I find it so fascinating. It is. Well, let's let's go there. In terms of it could be anything, because you actually wrote another article where you theorized about what the men in black could possibly be. We touched on that right now a little bit, but what other theories do you think could be behind this? You know, I, I for so long, I thought these were just members of the government coming out to silence UFO witnesses. But then you hear the high strangeness aspect to a lot of these cases and it doesn't seem like we're dealing with just, you know, a hired U.S. Air Force person or or someone in the CIA or something, if we're going to 
keep it in the United States. It seems to be a lot weirder. And like you said, a lot more bizarre. So what are some of those theories, Fred, that you kind of pose in terms of what the men in black, the Swedish men in black even could possibly be? Well, it's like you said, it's just theories. I'm, I, I, it's a, I find Men in Black to be an interesting thought experiment. You know, just the presence of of these characters, and and that made me me think. Um, there is a, a theory that we're all aware of. I don't agree with it. That we're living in a simulation. You know, everything around us is created by a computer or aliens or whatever. Something have created us, and we're just running around there, poor, poor suckers. And uh, so <laughs> maybe the men in black are kind of like a virus, like uh, a virus sent in, programmed by whoever's behind all of this to check up on us. When, when there's a glitch in the matrix, uh, mm-hmm. the, like a UFO or Bigfoot or whatever, these, uh, these viruses or these programs, you can say, comes, you know, sneaking around asking questions and they're they're not like us because they're they're programmed to look like us but they they're not perfect they weirder they're more unnatural somehow and uh, and uh, so that's one hypothesis i would say <laughs> but more than a theory uh, um, there, there's also this thing that maybe we're not visited by aliens at all but what we're visited uh, by is is probes. I mean, we have something called the Van Neumann probe, you know, probes sent to Earth to explore, check around. So maybe the men in black are kind of some kind of robotic or android versions of that probe. They send them in, you know, like a bird watcher or some, you know, they, they dress like a tree or a bush or something and <laughs> try to get closer to their birds or other animals. So maybe that's what the man in black is. You know, they kind of, they, they just made to look like us to sneak around. Uh, but we're, you know, they're, they're, they're not organic at all. I mean, there's many, many witnesses have described them as robotic in, in movement, you know, with uh, plastic faces, you know, this, you know, obviously makeup uh, on top of, of, of uh, their features. Uh, I remember someone mentioned that it looked like he didn't have any lips, but it, the, the lips were painted by lip, with lipstick. Yeah. You know, it's like, what is this? Yeah. Um, so, so that's one idea. <laughs> uh, if we're going to go even more woo-woo here, uh, I feel, and I'm semi-serious about this, uh, that you can say that the men in black are, are manifestations or, or thought creations by humanity's own paranoia. You know, um, you know, if you have the the the, the collective uh, unhappiness, paranoia, which I, I I believe would create such a some kind of strong energy, you know, this <laughs> negativity, this hopelessness, this paranoia, because the world it is what it is and has been like that for a number of years, and and that alone. It's like a tulpa. I don't want to use the word tulpa. Someone wrote the other day that they're so tired of hearing about tulpas, but I'm saying it here. It could be a tulpa. <laughs> tulpa. Uh, so take it or leave it, guys. Yeah, tulpa. Take it or leave it. Yeah. 
so they created from they created by us our collective angst anxiety you know uh and this is like i mean i don't want to go political but i also feel that some of these political characters we have are kind of the essence the the compressed unhappiness and paranoia and greed and and everything of of mankind it, itself and that generates certain form of characters not necessarily in a woo-woo style but they kind of just being naturally pushed in front and suddenly we have a madman as uh, as a leader you know as a you know in in the government or whatever you want to call it um so that's also a little bit a little take on it at least mm-hmm. but all, you know it's i'm just speculating here you know i'm <laughs> of, of course. course yeah uh but i'm the, this the, the men in black they they're like a they 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 are a rabbit hole you know it's difficult to not crawl into it you know and and search and turn every stone and you know pull every root down there uh there's there's always something that you know that sticks to you sometimes it's a bit gooey and, and bluey you know you can't you know you can't get rid of it <laughs> and and um, maybe many black are the, the that goo that we that we people create unconsciously i guess Oh, wow. You're blowing my mind, man. That's, uh, you're right. There's so many rabbit holes we could go down. The men in black are the goo. You need to, you need to coin that term or what do they say? Trademark that term right now. Um, well, and I want to kind of wrap up our conversation on men in black because I, I also want to just get your, uh, some of your favorite Swedish UFO cases. Mm-hmm. I'm dying to know. Uh, but before we 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 end that, um, you mentioned we don't hear a lot about Men in Black anymore or encounters with them. And we did touch on why that might be. But have you been able to find any sort of modern day iterations of what could possibly be interpreted as a Men in Black encounter? Anything like that in like the last 10 years or so even we always hear about them in decades prior you mean in in sweden or internationally uh um, I, I guess sweden um specifically well i i mean i i have one uh but that's the one we were talking about having on the patreon okay all right <laughs> guys you heard it here first um <laughs> over on patreon after this conversation we are going to continue with Fred over there to hear that story. So good tease, good tease there, Fred. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll save that one for Patreon then. Um, well, let, let's move on then to your favorite Swedish UFO cases. Now, um, some of them I'm familiar with, but not too many. So I'd like to get your thoughts and insights on some of the cases that really uh, compel you in, in your homeland. Well, we have, I mean, I, I would say, no, you know, I've, I've, I've written a lot about it. Some of this is not published yet, but it will be. Uh, and I, I found so many cases that I've fallen in love with and I can't stop looking into. Even if, I, if I'm done with the text, I'm continuing to dig into them because I want to find something new, something more interesting. And 
Uh, I think my absolute favorite one is uh, in uh, a small community of uh, Treherningsjö in 1969. Uh, in Treherningsjö, uh, it's a very, very small community, lots of forest and mountains around, a couple of lakes. It's very peaceful there. And they have a transmitter station where, you know, um, signals, radio signals and, and uh, television signals are distributed all over Sweden. And at that station, Kjell Näslund worked. And on this evening, I think it was March 12, 1969, he came to work around six in the evening. And, you know, he made some coffee, he read the newspaper, he checked the equipment and suddenly the, all, all the alarms went off, you know, with, you know, lamps and sounds and, you know, chaos. So he stood up and like, what's going on here? Uh, and then it stopped. So he called his colleagues and they didn't know anything about it. So, you know, he leans back, continues with his newspaper. Everything is calm again. Uh, it's getting darker Maybe half an hour later, he had this strong feeling that he needs to go and open the door and look outside the transmitter station. And when he do that, he sees a huge flying saucer. It's like 150 uh, meters in di- diameter standing, you know. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's, it's enormous. It covers a whole, you know, deforestation area below the transmitter station. And he's like, what the fuck? He's just looking at it because it's such a bizarre sight. <laughs> he didn't expect that, you know. Uh, yeah, and the thing is, he sees movements also. It's like a tunnel going into the UFO. He kind of just described it as some kind of almost three-dimensional, four-dimensional tunnel, not, you know, purely material. And from that tunnel, beings came. Uh, and they were moving towards the transmitter station. And he, he received a message uh, in his mind saying, let us in. So he opens the door and he lets in maybe 10, 11, 12 beings shaped like boxes, like uh, maybe one meter meter uh, in, in height. And they're kind of fussy, foggy boxes. And they floats into the tr- transmitter station and they kind of checks out the equipment. And he's just standing there. He's like a couple of centimeters from them. And he senses that uh, these boxes or what you're going to call them are more like a shield and that there's some kind of intelligence inside of them. Mm-hmm. This goes on for like 10 minutes or so. Uh, and then the beings leave. They float back into the UFO and they fly away. And he's, he's, he's left there alone. And the first thing he does is <laughs> he calls the police. He have a friend who's a, a police, a local policeman, and says, you know, can you see something? So the, 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 the policeman went out on, on his yard and looked in that direction. And he didn't see anything. He called his colleagues in a nearby town and, you know, did you, you know, was there something going on here? And everyone like, no. And when he explained to them what had happened, uh, they thought he was drunk. They laughed at him. His wife laughed at him. So he kept quiet about this for like three years to, or two years, 1971. He first told about this encounter. And for as long as he lived, 
he passed away some years ago, he told the exact same story. There was no, you know, you have these UFO stories where details are added and there's, you know, getting more and more, you know, spectacular. But in his case, it was like, no, this happened. I have no idea what it is, but this happened. Um, and, and I would say what makes it convincing is that he made regular phone calls to his colleagues before the event, directly after the event, and to, to his friend, the policeman. And there was a, a constant communication in and around this incident, which makes me feel that this, he didn't fall asleep. He didn't, uh, he didn't imagine this. This, was, this is something else. Uh, in 1977, uh, another man actually encountered three beings at almost the same spot, some kind of short beings with spades. They were digging in the ground, and they had a quite small UFO behind them. <laughs> um, and when investigators came there like a day or two after, they could actually find uh, traces in the ground of someone digging and taking moss samples and things like that. So this this area was kind of a hot spot for uh, for a number of years of weird sightings and uh, strange beings uh, so the Trierning queer case is absolutely one of my favorites it's it's so it's so visual especially when you read about it not hearing a crazy old swede talk about it it's, it's you can <laughs> so easily imagine how it is out there in nowhere by this transmitter station in this huge flying saucer lands and there, oh, you know, I love it. Wow. Yeah. That's such, ha, have you been out to the site where this occurred? No, I, I haven't. It's quite far away from where I live, uh, but I'm planning to definitely, I've been trying to pinpoint the exact spot where the flying saucer allegedly landed. Uh, so one day, maybe this summer, I will uh, go up there and try to, you know, see if I can, maybe I can find some, some other witnesses or some, some relatives to, to shell, yeah. uh, you know, because I want to do something with it. You know, I, I went down to, uh, there was a landing in 1946 in Engelholm and uh, uh, last summer, I went down there and and I filmed it and I explored this area and that's so fun to do, you know, to actually go to the location and explore it. So yeah, with this case, one day, absolutely, I will be there, and I will embarrass myself with with knocking doors and talking <laughs> to people. <laughs> that is a true investigator. You yes. have to be that big person. And you let me know. I'm not too far from you nowadays. If you need yes. someone to, uh, hey, hey, I'll carry your your suitcase for you if you need. <laughs> I I don't care. I want to go there too. Um, I mean, it's it's uh, easy for you. It's easy for you to get to to Engelholm. Engelholm is in the south of Sweden, where this UFO monument is. The landing in 1946. It's not that far away. If you go to Denmark and you take uh, basically a bus and a train, you can you can reach it. I know it's easy uh, to say, of course, but it's... no, that's that's you you said the right words, bus and train, because I cannot drive yet in oh. Europe. I'm I'm too scared. I I'll get there. I'll get there. But wow, man, that's fascinating. I'm so happy. Thank you for sharing that that story with us. Um, well, hey. We are going to head over to Patreon to hear about a modern day Men in Black case that you were able to 
uncover, which I'm really interested to hear about. So guys, if you want to hear that story, head over to Patreon to hear that. Fred's going to stick around and tell us that story. And um, maybe one or two more of his other favorite UFO cases out of Sweden. But uh, before we go here, Fred, on the main feed, uh, can you tell us what else you're up to? Do you have any plans uh, of more articles coming up or uh, or filming? I know you do a lot of filming as well. Um, let us know if there's anything you can tease for us. Well, <clears throat> keep an eye on my Medium account. Uh, I have a couple of articles coming out. Uh, I might even talk a little bit about one of those cases on the Patreon version of this Um Uh, Currently, I'm the story producer for Spökjakt, which is a huge paranormal show. They're in the UK right now filming one episode. And I'm also waiting for the first test print of my new book, because what are podcasts for? (laughs) Because, (laughs) you know, I've written a book, yes. Uh, And I hope that... Yeah, I hope that book will be out in in next month in March. No, what is it? February, March. Yeah, uh, it's called Northern Northern Lights: High Strangeness in Sweden, where I only write about weird, weird cases uh, from the twenties up to the late eighties or early nineties, uh, often related to, to humanoids and flying saucers and time rifts and other kinds of wonderful things. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely have to have you back on to talk about the book when it comes out. That sounds really, really interesting. Um, Well, where can we find all of your work and everything you're up to? Well, outside my Medium account, where I publish all my articles, basically, I I would say that the best way to, to hang out with me is on Twitter, the infamous Twitter Nowadays, I was almost on my way away from there, but I'm there. You know, I have a lot of friends. And (laughs) yeah, and uh, my uh, name there is uh, Homo Satanis. It's quite easy to find. Um, And I also have an Instagram, Homo Satanis, where there's a lot of old UFO books and sometimes cases I write about and other weird stuff. So I would say that those are the best places to hang out with me. And I'm one of the good guys because I'm following back. If you're not assholes, of course. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Guys, all the links to, to Fred's social media can be found in the show notes below. So be sure to follow him. And I really am looking forward to your book. But we're going to head over to Patreon right now to hear a story about the modern men in black encounter that Fred was able to dig up. And another case that you might see in his upcoming book as well. So Fred, thank you so much for finally joining me as a proper guest on Somewhere in the Skies today. Thank you.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.